I'm Serginho Dest, and you're listening to BR Football Ring. distance can you feel the planet shake it's the dawning of a new age it's a verified youth quake see while my homes came up clutch in the big one in the states we've got erling Haaland scoring goals at unheard of rates seven goals in three league games he's hardly started slow but we'll be talking about the big man more later in the show and by his side Jaden sancho coming back round like karma while juve's new boy kulisevsky is on a tear for parma part of a serie a generation that's looking so sick tonight Mali, Castrovilli, Chiesa, Matthias De Ligt. Meanwhile, in Paris, Kylian Mbappe still scoring goals for fun, but he's scrapping with his manager. Could his time in France be done? And in Spain, the young guns look to replace that old, old guard. Alex Izak, Fede Valverde, Martin Odegaard. Under Setien and Soufati's finally nailed down his place, became the youngest La Liga player ever to go and score a brace. Two assists from Leo as he drops deeper, allows the kid to shine. Ronaldinho to Messi, Messi to Ansu, the passing of the line. In the Premier League, two strikers beginning to make their mark. Martinelli, Mason Greenwood providing their side some much-needed spark. And then there's Trent. And what can we say? The kid's out in the lead as his relentless crossing drives Liverpool towards that Premier League. There's more, of course. I couldn't get to everyone around, but do not blink. The youth are here. The future begins now. Welcome, friends. The poems are back. Football ranks and the poems are back. Oh, I missed them, mate. You're good at them. It's, um, you know, I thought we'd give everyone a break and then return with a, with a bang. Yeah, yeah, you just like this slow build up and then bang, there it is. Treating me and keeping keen, yeah, like, as nice, they say. Nice Pat Mahomes reference as well, just to alienate all the Niners fans from the very beginning of the pod. Everyone well done. Switch off now. Did good, though. Oh, no, yeah. well, in the, credits, in the last eight minutes, he was good. Well, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah. That, that is really If you actually all look you at need. Erling Haaland, it's all about how many minutes you effectively yeah, that's true. Pat Holmes is very good thing. at that. Very true. This is Beyond Football Ranks, your very own navigation through the wild terrains of this game we love. My name is Jack Collins, and I will try to keep this voyage on course as best I can. With me, as ever, the engines that drive us ever onwards in this quest for understanding and knowledge. It's the rank god Sam Tai and Lord of the Melon, Dean Jones. How are we, boys? Good, mate. I love, love my new title. My title been, is you know, much better than Dean's. Put upon me. Well, I've been using Melon Maestro a lot, so I thought yeah. I would just, you know, mix it up a tidy bit. Uh, yeah. One day I'll need to bit. shake off this Melon tag, but we'll go with it for now. For now, for now. Good weekend of football in both senses of the word, I think. Yeah, massively. Uh, basically spent my entire weekend watching the two different types of football. Um, I watched a hell of a lot this weekend. Like, obviously, I usually watch a fair bit, but this, I don't think I really left the sofa for two days. Rach was ill, so I had no choice but to be her guardian and just, you know, sit, sit and watch about, I think I watched about six, six games and then the Super Bowl. Yeah. Pretty cool. Not bad. Not bad. There was rugby as well. Didn't watch that. Didn't I watched watch rugby. some rugby. Uh, you, missed, you missed Leipzig versus Mönchengladbach back because afterwards. of the stupid Six Nations. <laughs> had to watch it back afterwards. So. I was yeah. saying it was a good, game, a good weekend of sport. Let's get on then to our hot takes. Uh, Sam, can to start us off? Sure. Um, Real Madrid don't need to sign a single player this summer. They still will. They will. <laughs> I mean, sure, they might. Um, and we can, we can move the conversation on, on what need versus require. And maybe if you get a superstar opportunity that comes up, we can move that onto it a bit later. But I spent this weekend writing a piece where I basically acted as sporting director for Europe's top teams. Where full Monchi. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Myself, uh, my chief scout hero, my cat, and his sister, 
Akira, uh, Chief Data Analyst. And as a trio, we formed Summer Shopping List. And it's a piece that you can read on BR and the app if you wish. And one of the conclusions I reached during this extremely lengthy and laborious process was Real Madrid are so stacked for players that they could genuinely basically get through the entire summer having not signed a single player and it wouldn't be a problem, which is just such a rare position to be in. Yeah. Like, the work that they have done over the last two to three years, the shift in philosophy where they started pursuing very good young talents, paying a premium for them, but they've, they've sort of moved away from that Galactico model to a point. Obviously, you factor in last summer's business as well. Hazard, Ferlon Mendy, Eda Militao, Jovic, Rodrigo, Rainier came this winter. I just, I just started like tallying up this squad, looking at how many options they've got for all their positions, checking in on the lone army they've got. Odegaard, Kubo, Oscar Rodriguez, Hakimi, Odriozola, Ceballos. Oh, man, they just, they've just got like three players for every position. They're going to be absolutely fine, even if they don't sign anyone. This is madness. Well, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and actually someone sent me this on Instagram. Nahid, who's a listener, so shout out Nahid, he sent me a picture of basically the lone army that they've got out at the moment. Mm. And it's, he said it was a bit like the Chelsea project on mm. steroids. Yeah, and yeah. he's right, like Lunin in goal, Ashraf, Militao, Mendy, Valverde, Odegaard, Kubo, Rodrigo, Jovic, Vinicius, Rainier... Oscar, Vallejo, it goes on and on and yeah, on. Maya nice Rao, Bios. Everyone here is under 23. Yeah. Everyone just mentioned. Regulon. Like, there are so many loan, yeah. players yeah. out on loan or already making their sort of way into the Madrid setup. So we, we sat, they could be set for years. They really could, yeah. I mean, we sat, um, you, you sat next to me on the plane to Chicago for our US trip and you actually put together an 11 of players Real Madrid could sell last summer and not really have their squad trimmed the first team choices, like it just, it just wouldn't wouldn't have been a factor. And we watched that summer as all of them got sold off, like Raul de Tomas, T- Tomas and Co. And it was just quite amusing to see all these players: Kovacic, Marcus Llorente, Teo Hernandez, Kayla Navas. They all left. It didn't affect them. Like they they have so many players. To be fair, Teo Hernandez continues to be one of the best left. Backs I mean, he's awesome. Ever. He's awesome. But like you know, they didn't need they didn't Another need him. One. They just no, they just didn't, didn't need him. So. But what I'm trying to say, I guess, is is, is well done to, to Real Madrid's front office, to their to their scouting department and to their decision makers because over the last couple of years, you have very slyly put together possibly the best collection of young talent in Europe and you've put yourself in a position where if you only decided you wanted one superstar this summer, someone like Kylian Mbappe, you could afford it because you don't actually have any holes to plug. Yeah. Which puts you in such a luxurious position. A position someone like... A, t- a team like Manchester United would absolutely kill to be in. And not just United, lots of them. Juve have holes. PSG have, have holes to fill. Real Madrid don't have any. Dean, what have you got for us this week? Tottenham beat Man City. Yes. Fantastic. Their best win under Mourinho. Best win for a while. But I think it covers up a deeper story that we're going to see unfold for the rest of the season. I've spoken to... I speak to quite a few people regularly who are close to Tottenham players. And in recent weeks... While they were in awe of Mourinho when he came in, while they do think he's a very good coach, very smart tactically, they have started to become more and more concerned about their tactics in recent weeks. And actually, before they played that City game, I was told that the players were worried about their plan for that game because they were giving up the ball, they were going to counter-attack, and they felt they didn't have the players to cope with it. Now, as it was, they went out and they beat Man City 2-0. It was a fluke result. 
City's XG was 3.0. Tottenham's was 0.22. And they won the game 2-0. So it was a weird one. So what I've heard is that in recent weeks, they've put more and more emphasis in training on counter-attacks. And a lot of the players that are there, not everyone, but a lot of them are concerned they don't have the squad to continually do that and produce results between now and the end of the season. So I think let's see how it unfolds. Let's give Mourinho the benefit of the doubt for that win, but not expect this to be a catalyst for Tottenham's season because I think we might get to the end of the season when a few key players are wondering whether they want to be part of this anymore or whether it's quite a good time to move on to something new. It's quite tough, I suppose, given that Kane's out and that they yeah. didn't go and replace him with a striker. Well, that's bad, how, that's bad how, leadership from the top. But so how, well, agreed. But how heavily linked is this shift in approach to that? Is this not an acceptance that you pay, he can't play the way he wants to without Kane? They didn't replace him. So he has to do this. Yeah. And in that case, fair enough. Yeah, but the, the question, I suppose, then becomes, can you play like that against Burnley or West Ham or no. Villa? Yeah. You can't. No. And how so do you play against those strength. teams if all you're planning on doing is, yeah. is counter-attacking? Yeah. And look, Spurs have an unbelievable amount of pace in that final third, especially with the addition of Bergwijn. And it's frightening how yeah. quick they could be on the break. The problem is they won't break against teams like that who sit deep against yeah. them and who are willing to... I mean, Tottenham's squad is just very strange shape right now if you were to list it all you would have literally 12 13 midfielders and one striker and that's that's not exaggerating let's not leave out the great hope Troy Parrott (laughs) two one and a half um but seriously that that's something that that Tottenham should have fixed yeah of course and and you know, that might not be totally Mourinho's fault. Obviously, it comes from Daniel Levy to have not sorted that out. But they haven't fixed such a problematic area by, by not bringing in a short-term Harry Kane replacement. Yes, people laughed at, at Man United for signing Odio Nogalo, but they've signed a decent player there. Like, he's not a mug. You know, Odio Nogalo is a decent player. <laughs> is he? Yes, is it's he? fine. No he's, he's signed for four months. I'd be, I'd be there's nothing to lose. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that one pans out. I think more than... You know whether he's good or not. At least they like they went got and they someone. got someone yeah. in on a short term, and no, that's all they're thinking. And there, Tottenham no didn't do that. obligations or any of that. And look, yes, it's money, and it might be weird money spent, but like at least now Man United can go out and be like, look, we tried to put someone in to fill that gap yeah. while we're missing an absolute key cog. Yeah. You can't say the same for Spurs. No, for sure. I tweeted exactly that. It's almost like you you follow me and read my tweets. To be fair, but uh, he doesn't. I also like I completely agree with Dean. Back to the first point, which was this was. Uh, this is very fluky. This is a very, very fluky win for Tottenham. Like, you see Aguero smacks the bottom of the post mm-hmm. and Mares misses a penalty. And it's those little... Gundogan misses a penalty. Sorry, it's like those little, those little things that, that happen. It's kind of like what happened in the Champions League last year when City went to Tottenham and missed the penalty. Like Aguero missed the penalty. And they should have won that game. They should have won that game and they didn't. Yes. And, lessons, and it's like, they're just... These are not results. You can't work from the result backwards and be like, Tottenham are fine. This was a masterclass. No, this of was course. a class. But, you know, I know you're not saying Some that. people did call but, it a masterclass, people, though. People I think there should that. be some, some kind of awareness of, of Mourinho. Like you say, it, it was there, the XG suggests that Tottenham were, were lucky to win the game. Yeah. And look at Bergwijn's goal. Like, it's brilliant, yeah, but it's literally one moment of brilliance. Yeah. Like, that's... He's got lucky that he's come think, up with that moment. I think you you know you can't take you can't rule out genius in terms of it no. being useful. That's not how it's not going to happen every week. though. That's not how things work. And you know 
it is one of those things where I think Mourinho does deserve some credit. I think that you go in with a game plan. And I'm, look, I'm not saying it worked, but even in the Liverpool game where the team, they lost, obviously, but they're you know, one goal away or, or one moment of magic away, really, from from drawing with a team that very few people have managed to get a result off this season. And yes, the Mourinho way isn't pretty. And yes, it doesn't always work. But when it does, it achieves some weird, weird results that happen to... Yeah, you get some good moments out of him. I think that he deserves some credit for going in with a game plan. And yes, it was it, there were elements of luck to it, but ultimately it's worked. Yeah. And for that, you do have to give him credit. And I don't stand up in, in defence of Jose Mourinho very much. No, you just don't have to call it a masterclass. I don't think it was a masterclass, no, but I'm impressed. No, I'm impressed with the fact they went in, put a game plan out, and and it played off. Yeah. And and yes, there are elements of luck to that. And yeah. Yes, there are elements of genius to that, like the Birdvine. So I think it's interesting that this Tottenham squad already themselves have had doubts yeah, about agree. whether this c- can work. And look, maybe since I spoke to people last week, that they have been won over a little by that game but I doubt it anyway um, I just need to interrupt right here because it's time for Melon of the Week and it's related to this game that's why I'm bringing it up right now because this week's Melon of the Week is Riyad Mahrez who cost Man City that game he his corner which led to Zinchenko's red card was one of the worst moments I've seen it's maybe the worst corner of all time it's so so bad it's pathetic it's pathetic I don't care if that's what they'd worked on in training, that that was going to be their, the, one of their set-piece routines. It wasn't on. It wasn't on to play that pass. And he had the smallest gap to get through. And he just played the weakest ball. And it was so bad. And Zinchenko has paid the price for it. He's made a cynical foul, which City players obviously always make anyway when, when another team counters. Well, he has to make it. He, just, he went a bit, you know, it was, he wasn't getting away with that one. But that's what City do all the time when teams counter on them. Um, and suddenly City went from being in complete control of a game, to having 10 men, suddenly conceding two goals. Um, and it wasn't just that moment for me, Mares in that game. There was that part uh, in the first half when he lost the, the ball, ball and ran away. That was weird. <laughs> that was, honestly, I think one of the strangest things I've ever seen. He runs away. Have a look at, uh, I think about the 26th minute of that game, he runs away. Um, and there was a couple of other things where he's just got easy passes on and he doesn't take them Mahrez isn't a really player game. he kept running into three markers <laughs> he's you know, such a strange footballer he's on his day unplayable yeah. yeah but often just a really odd footballer he really is an odd footballer like yeah be great in like five him, sides. Like he is honest he is great but I just, do like him a lot it's just, yeah it's, I understand it's I, loads I just of don't know low. if I'd want him on my team I wouldn't know what he's doing I don't feel like he's doing what the rest of the team's doing half the time. Sometimes I mean, sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh, this makes loads of sense. Yeah. Sometimes you look at it and be like, why is Bernardo Silva not playing? Yeah, yeah. when well, he's doing like... his eighth step over within <laughs> seven seconds. You're like, just, just play the first ball, you see, mate. Anyway, there you are, Riyad. Well done. You are this week's Melon of the Week. Uh, as referenced in the poem, I'd quickly like to talk about Erling Haaland a little bit more. Now, when he signed, we said this was going to be a good signing, but even the most outrageous Haaland propaganda machine, I don't <laughs> think, could have predicted this start seven goals in three games 19 minutes per goal mm. for Dortmund in the Bundesliga he's four goals away already from being in the top five scorers for the year <laughs> <laughs> having played less than three whole games uh, since he's come in Dortmund have scored five goals in each of the three games they have yeah. played he's upping everyone else's game already Jaden Sancho's goals and assists have gone through the roof uh-huh. since Haaland started playing and he says he's not even fit yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. He was like, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to being 100% actually. Yeah. Sorry? Need more games. Some little runouts. Oh, I can't remember a signing having an impact like this. No. 
I mean, they have Obviously, you look really at Van Dijk and Alisson and those kind of things. Different, but in terms yeah. of immediate, immediate impact, impact. Henrik Larsson at Man United once. There aren't, there aren't many signings that you can make, especially in a January window that, that transform a season. I mean, we all knew that Dortmund were crying out for a striker. They didn't have one for the first half of the season. Julian so, Brandt was playing there. Yeah, so it's yeah. obvious that if you put someone who can play that position, then your goal output should improve. But not to this extent. Every time he touches the ball, it's a goal. Yeah. It's nuts. And he won the penalty at yeah. the weekend. The man no one is, can cope with him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's almost unplayable. Well, I've said that three it's, times it's this episode way, already. But it's <laughs> the way you get, but it's he can true. get in. But if you try and push up, then he's going to get in behind you. And then at the same time, if you're in the box defending, he's going to find, he's just going to pull off you and find a little gap where he's yeah. going to tap it in. He's so sharp in the box, physically, just doesn't have a flaw. The he's first so, goal he's so scores, confident. The first goal he scores at the weekend where he sort of feints to go backwards, like goes yeah. around the back of a player and then tucks yeah. it in at the back post. Yeah. It's just the movement yeah. is exceptional. And yes. like the best goal he scored so far is that that second one in the second game where he's basically on the touch. He, he takes it all the way around to the touchline and he's like, he's got, how, how much of the goal can he actually see? It's almost Roberto he's Carlos. so wide of the goal on the line. Cafu. Just passes yeah. it into the net and you're just like, my God. My. I can see why Man United didn't want to play their agents for. <laughs> they were we're like, no, we can clear this out. Anyway, shut up, we can get Odi Nagala. Anyway, not anyway, <laughs> Erling Haaland. What a play. Great play. That's all we're going for. Right, after the break, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the runaway Premier League leaders at Liverpool and if they can be stopped in some of the biggest games remaining this season. Don't go. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Liverpool have taken 100 points out of the last 102 available in the Premier League. They have lost two games this season, one against Napoli in the Champions League and one against Aston Villa in the League Cup when they were playing a youth team because of a simultaneous clash with Club World Cup duty. This team, frankly, looks unstoppable. But can they be halted in their tracks in the Champions League, in the FA Cup or the Premier League by a team who they have yet to play? So we're going to take three teams. Their Champions League round of 16 opponents, Atletico Madrid, their arch nemesis of the last two years, Manchester City, and the last team to go invincible in the English top flight, Arsenal, who play Liverpool in their anti-penultimate game of the season at the Emirates. To take a look at how we try to set them up to beat the champions in waiting. Sam, you're going to channel your inner cholo and take charge of Atletico, who oh. they play first of these three. Yep. So over to you, Gaffer. Well, I mean, look, before we talk specifically Atletico Madrid, and by the way, this is just a horrible game plan to come up with. It's a horrible task. Yeah, it's really tough. Um, I think, we st- I think this, the place to start for all of us is they've already lost this season and we need to take a look at the games in which they've struggled or had bad halves in or games that they have indeed yeah, lost, absolutely. like the Napoli one, and take a look at like, what they did for some clues. So Napoli... First game of the Champions League campaign, they lost 2-0. They were a little bit unlucky to lose this, which is in keeping because they're obviously a very good side. But Napoli played 4-4-2, which I'm increasingly convinced is the answer here, specifically after this weekend when Southampton actually ran them quite close for one half of football. I was going to say, they ended, up, ended 4-0. They ended 4-0. up losing 4-0. It got out of hand, but they started pretty well. They, they were did, actually yeah, quite did. good in the first half. And potentially should have had a penalty and a goal. I think, I think yeah. I think 4-4-2 is increasingly looking like the way to beat Liverpool. I think you need speed everywhere. Because this Liverpool team are so fast, they are so good in transition, and because they are so good in tight spaces and they're so agile and their link-up play is so slick, I think you need to field not four full-backs, but you need either quick wingers to play really withdrawn roles and help the full-back out, or, yeah, four 
defensive-minded players. Agreed. Two on each flank. Now, Napoli had the blessing of Costas Manolas and Kaladu Koulibaly at the back. It's the quickest centre-back partnership on this earth, I think. Maybe Ramos and Varane is, is running it close, but those two are so fast. That helps because it takes away a lot of what Liverpool tried to do in behind you. They also fielded Mertens, Insigne, Kajahan and Lozano at different points. So basically just run up and down and try and track the fullbacks. And I think with Liverpool, people take a look at Mane, take a look at Salah, Firmino, the intricate play, the goals. And yet they're obviously very important. But I think the basis of how Liverpool create is through their fullbacks. What you need to do, I think, is push up against those fullbacks and try to stop them moving forward into the spaces that Liverpool create. Their centre midfielders recycle the ball around until they shift you over and you can get one of Robertson or Trent to run into space with the ball. And then they'll cross or they'll underlap and go into the box. If you can stop that, and it's so difficult, obviously, because Trent can cross from any angle. So he's so hard to close down. Robertson just runs up and down like a nutter and never stops. If you can stop them from moving into space with the ball half the time, you're in, you're in a good spot already. Yeah. And N- Napoli just paired very fast players and just said, just go with them. Just stop them, block them, run them. And they tried to man-mark Mane and Salah cutting in as well. It didn't always work, but they basically got the better of them and only conceded about three really good chances, which is pretty good going yeah, against, yeah, yeah. against Liverpool. Agreed. They're pretty aggressive with their passing through Liverpool. Again, not everyone has a passer like Koulibaly who can use both feet and can play line-breaking passes forward. They, again, he's a blessing for them. So Napoli were able to beat Liverpool's own press using Koulibaly's passes into central midfield. And Southampton did something similar for a while. And Klopp was really full of praise for Southampton yes, was, and how yeah. bold and brave they were. And the other thing is, I don't think you, it's really easy to say this, but like, you can't be scared of Liverpool. If you sit off, you are in so much trouble. But if you push up and try to disrupt them, and they can be got at, the central midfield three, they can be pressed and they can be harried. You have to try and stop the supply line into Trent and Robertson and the front three rather than let them get the ball and then deal with them with the ballers at their feet. That's so important as well. Again, all of this, so much easier said than done. Oh, of course. And, you know, in the week after we watched the Super Bowl, I feel like Liverpool are essentially Pat Mahomes. You can contain them for a certain period of time, but it is basically impossible to keep them in check for a full duration of a game. That's what happened with Mahomes. Last eight minutes, he came alive. First three quarters, probably the worst c- career game he's ever, he's ever played. But you can't contain him for an entire game. No. And Liverpool are the same. They are unstoppable over 90 minutes. But you can get enough out of them and hit them on the... To give a, it a go. To, to give it a go. And that's what Napoli managed to do. I actually think that the penalty they conceded against Robertson was... Uh, it, was not, it wasn't a penalty. I don't think it was better. So they got a little bit fortunate there, Napoli. Um, and then they scored one, obviously, in, in stoppage time. So again, even with all of that in place... My goodness me, it was a Against struggle. Against a very good side. Against a very, you know, this, this is such a Napoli struggle. are a strong, strong, especially at that point with yeah. a full cohort of players. Yeah, a very yeah it was good quite a while ago now is the only issue, isn't it? it so was, how are yeah. you setting up Atletico? So I'm going to go four four two, which happens to work pretty well for Atletico because it's, it's kind of all they play. Um, I'm going to man-mark Mane and Salah with my full-backs. I'm going to play Renan Lodi, who is very quick and agile, so that works. On the right, I'm a little bit worried because Trippier and Arias and Vichalco all either injured, not quite fit, or just not really up to that task. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm going to play defensively, a defensively conscious Saul Nigueth at left mid because 
He can give you a lot running up and down. His stamina is incredible. He's also played at left back. He can play left back. Yeah. He's played centre-back, midfield, left back, left mid. So I think he's actually quite a good fit there. And he's, he's the player I'm going to use to try and pin Trent Alexander-Arnold back. It's not going to work all the time, but I'm going to give it a go. And you've got to stop them moving forward with the ball. On the right, I'm kind of torn because from one perspective, like you could use Koke and do the same thing on the other side. But then I feel like you need a bit of dynamism on one of those flanks moving forward. So could Carrasco come into play here? Well, he's played, he's played could, wing back could, before. Could, could Vitolo come into play here? Could you play Correa on the right-hand side? Like He's got that grit as well that you could ask for. I don't think he'd last the 90 minutes doing that job, but I wonder if the answer actually is Correa, um, which gives you a little bit of vulnerability over there, I think. But if you ask him to do that job, and then in the middle, Thomas Partey, fantastic season, and probably Herrera, who's just a nightmare to play against. Yeah, a, right? a full-on destruction. An machine. absolute nightmare. My concern for Atletico is that they don't have the weapons in the forward areas to cause Liverpool really any harm in transition. Um, Morata obviously got an injury at the weekend, lasted three minutes into the second half against Real Madrid. Um, and they don't really have that many other players. Jao Felix is injured. And, Felix, and that might necessitate Correa playing up, up, up off the striker, to be fair, and then somebody else comes in off the flank. The problem with Atletico Madrid is that they will get trapped. They'll get trapped in their own half if they defend deep. And they will try to do that at times because they won't be able to get out. Because Liverpool's counter-press will stop so many attacks. Van Dijk will just eat Morata if he's, if, if he's available, even if. So I don't think Atletico can win this game. I just don't think they can. I don't think they have the utensils. I've tried, beat Liverpool I have tried very hard here. And I've come up with a plan that I think could hold Liverpool. Could contain them for a while. It could contain them scoreless for 70 minutes. But I don't think Atletico have... And them. we do forget this is over two legs. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's I, like, a tricky like, like last season, Bayern Munich managed to hold Liverpool nil nil over ninety minutes, but they couldn't do one hundred and eighty. Mm. They ended up conceding three. This is a very difficult task. I don't think Atletico have the transitional weapons to make this work. There are other teams that do though. If Atleti had signed Edinson Cavani, we would be having a different conversation. Yes, it would be. It would be not not. I was going to say easier. Then it's not easier. Uh, it's much more viable because he's a player that can protect the ball and allow Atletico Madrid to come out of their deep block and up the pitch and start to link play. I just don't have the faith in Atletico strikers to be able to do that against what is essentially the best, well, one of the best centre-back partnerships. I think if Lovren plays, you've got a chance, because I'd sling it down that channel. In between where Trent plays and where Lovren would play at right centre-back, Trent can be got at uh, defensively. 1v1, he's not that strong, particularly against speed. Lovren makes mistakes in the channels, that's an option. One more thing I would say. If you get a corner... Don't bother. Just don't bother. <laughs> you said, no, you can have it back. Just kick it straight out. If everyone needs to go back into their own half and the striker... Stand one in the person go over Stand you. in the corner and just kick it out for a goal kick and more... And more. Everyone's Liverpool, Liverpool are at their most dangerous when you have a corner. <laughs> We're talking just, about a different game these just days, aren't we? forget The game has changed. Don't it is bother swinging right. a ball into the box. Talking of teams who have been bad at corners recently, Dean, you are going to take charge <laughs> of Manchester City. You're going to lose your hair... And go full Pep. Yeah. How are you planning on trying to defeat? <laughs> it's funny, your we've got this assignment because Pep Jürgen did Klopp. leave me a message the other day. Can you come up with a game plan how I can beat Liverpool? I said no worries, just give me a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I've decided that City are, will be better off going three-four-three. The so, Wolves model. That's exactly it. So, so I, you look have been at, playing a little bit of that recently. That's it. And I th- there are a lot of comparisons, player for player, and how City and, and Wolves could go. Um, so at the back. I would go Stones, Fernandinho, Laporte. 
Yeah. That would be how I would set. And I'd be under strict instructions to those three. You're going nowhere. <laughs> Fernandino, you are not going wandering at any point in this game. Do not drift out of that central zone. You three stay. I don't care what else happens. Usually City break away with eight. No, seven in this game. <laughs> seven men can attack. The other three are staying. So are they man-marking the back Are they going man for man with the back three? You're just staying there because you know at some point you're going to get... You don't want to get caught out. Yeah. And so then what I'm going to do in the middle is I'm going to go Zinchenko on the left, Walker on the right, and then De Bruyne and probably Gundogan ahead of Rodri. I just feel like Rodri gets bypassed quite a lot. Mm. Um, but toss up between those two. So my idea there is that basically they transfer... As soon as uh, Liverpool have the ball, you've got a back five. Like, that's essential. And you see Wolves do that um, when they played against them. As soon as they didn't have the ball, it was a back five. And that's so important because you need to close off those channels which Liverpool just dream of getting into. And once they're in them, you're stuck. You're not getting out of there. Absolutely. In attack, Sterling, I'm relying on finally having a good game against Liverpool. (laughs) It it would be a first. It would be a first. Um, he doesn't, nothing ever goes for him. You look at what happened last time they played, like, he just has such a hard time against this, this game isn't at Anfield, and Anfield is where he really struggles. He just mm. doesn't play very well against Liverpool at home. So, yeah, so Sterling there, Aguero through the middle, such a shame they wouldn't have Sané because he would be, su- he would be your biggest strength in this game. Yeah. Um, I don't trust Mahrez to play there. So it's a toss-up, really, for me between Bernardo Silva and Jesus. Uh, I'm going to go with Bernardo just because I trust him a bit more to do the work rate and, and, and help you out defensively. Bernardo's work rate is exceptional, yeah, always yeah. has been. And I think in a game like this, you, you can just trust him to carry out the role that you want. So in terms of an actual game plan, I would say only press in circumstances where every single one of you is definitely locked into your man. If one player, one of us is out of... Out of position, retreat. But how do they know? <laughs> because you can tell. You to can be quickly fair, that's, tell. That's football intelligence. It, yeah, you know, it, is, it is. Unless unless you're Aguero and you start the press from the front, you, you can't see. Yeah, but he can he can do that because that's that's his that's fine. If the front man could do that, everybody else is uh, can be under instruction. It happens. Yeah. Like you you just come off uh, come off of it because if one man's not in position, then Liverpool are gone and you're in big trouble. Um, so, yeah, they've got to be able to play in front of you. They've got to be forced to break you down. Close off those channels. Play the back five. And then the interesting thing is when you do have possession of the ball, because you can keep it against Liverpool, but you've got to be able to deal with the aggressiveness that they're going to show against you. Mm. And Man City haven't actually shown, for me, the ability to do that as much this season as they probably were in the last two seasons before it. So that would be a slight concern. I certainly wouldn't play it out of the back. I'd be looking to play it out of there further and then try and... To Use Edison's passing range. Edison's passing range, exactly that. And then, as quick as you can, get in behind Trent and Robertson. That's the weakness. Mm. And so, part of my plan for having Zinchenko and Kyle Walker is that they are basically your wide players. And Sterling and Bernardo perhaps even tuck in a little bit into just that, that inside... Yard trying to overload the back two exactly, and then you can overload them down there. Even if you're playing one one twos to get in behind them, whatever it takes, they're your weaknesses. Robertson probably not so much as Trent, but Trent can definitely be got at. I mean, 
he's not a bad footballer. Like we've, Sam said a similar thing. Like wonderful. We're not saying that it, that yeah. is a mass, massive weakness. It's just one of the few weak yeah, they spots. Don't, they of, don't have any. They don't have you any. Have so like, if you're going to find one, that's where it is. Well, you t- I think you just the idea is that you keep it away from Van Dijk. Like play play the exactly. ball on the opposite side of the pitch to Van Dijk. Yeah, of course. That's that's the best thing to do. And then your only other real hope is that KDB can get on set pieces or occasionally get the space to whip in a low ball between Allison and that defensive line and just have your, your front men, either Bernardo or Sterling at the far post, gambling on every single chance. Wolves actually had a really, couple of really good chances from situations like that. Yeah. Um, Shrewsbury, I know, talked about, I read, I read a piece that, where they talked about it in their planning for the Liverpool game, that if you can shift the ball in one direction and then quickly get the ball in behind, you can get some joy from free kicks against Liverpool in that zone. Mm. It's only a very, very small chance, but it's, it's, the, best a, chance you've got. it's the best chance you've got. So Na- Napoli played down the right-hand side a lot through Kajahon in build-up, and then Kajahon switched it over to the left-hand side right. to try and get Lozano or somebody else, whoever was over there, one on one with Trent, and they actually managed to do it three or four times, and they had some joy because there's space over there if you switch it from one side to the other, and then you get Trent one on one, and that's when something feels like it might happen. Now the goals didn't come from that, yeah. but they did it three or four times, and you thought, oh, there's some space there, and there's not usually any space. Yeah, right. I am. Um, I'm a sucker for a challenge, <laughs> so I have given myself the place of another man with exceptionally good hair, Mikel Arteta, <laughs> as Arsenal attempt to defend their Lego record. Hair as the only invincible team of the Premier League era at the Emirates. Third last game of the season. I mean, look, I don't trust Arsenal's back four. I don't trust Arsenal's back six. Yeah. I think the best way that Arsenal can go is 4-4-2. And I would set them up as follows. I would put Bernd Leno in goal, who I think is probably Arsenal's biggest strength Great in the game right now. Everything from here is downhill. Bayern and Tierney. At fullback. I think Kieran Tierney will be back and in full fitness by this game, so mm-hmm. I'm going to gamble on that. I think defensively, he's more sound than anyone else. He's also got far more pace yeah, yeah. than anyone else at left back, except they've obviously been playing Bukayo Saka and Maitland Niles at fullbacks in, yeah. over the course of this season. They're going at left and right wing. Okay, and they are up. going to double up on these things. I think that both of them have the pace and ability to get forward if they need to, but this is a defensive unit. Saka's this well is, suited to this game. This is a, a game where I'm going to just pin them yep. on Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. The centre-backs are, are, are an issue. You know, we're going to have to <laughs> Who go... Who are you signing? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, we haven't seen what role Pablo Mari is going to play. True. Maybe he will turn out to be prime... You know, Fingers Lucio, crossed. Yeah. and we will be able to just have him dominate this game. <laughs> but at the moment, I'm going Socrates and David Luiz. I just, I would love to have Callum Chambers back for this mm. game, but he's done his ACL. He's not going to be returning oh, for this game, and I just don't haven't seen enough of Rob Holding yeah, since his yeah, return yeah. To, to justify it. So it, yeah, you it's got Socrates choice, really. and Luiz here. The middle two, I'm going to play Torreira and Chaka. Since Arteta's came in, Chaka has looked a different player and he's gone from not looking like he'd ever play a game for the club again to being player of the, se- uh, player of the, the month, month probably yeah. for January. So them two, and it's just a sitting job. It's a sit and try and disrupt uh, and break. I was originally going to go 4 5 one, mm. and hope that Ceballos had worked his way back into contention by this point because I think he brings an energy level and the ability to pass the ball out from the back if you need it. But I just can't see it at the moment. So I'm going two up top. I'm going Gabriel Martinelli and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And I'm just going to ask them to press like their lives depend on it. And look, we've seen Lacazette struggle for fitness. 
for quite a lot of this season. He's not looked match sharp. I think I don't trust Pepe's defensive work rate. I don't. So it's Aubameyang and Martinelli up there, and I'm just going to sort of have them run around loads and and try and disrupt the Liverpool play out from the back yeah. as much as they can. At some point, they'll get a chance. With, and one of and, and also they're two players that I trust to finish yeah. if they get that chance. That's exactly the it. game plan is it is very similar to Sam's. It is double up on the wingers and and basically try and release Aubameyang down either channel, either side of the fullbacks, preferably the one between whoever is playing next to Van Dijk and Trent. Yeah. But ultimately, I think Aubameyang has a pace to really really struggle. That I would get Martinelli to drop a little bit deeper and try and facilitate play a little bit more. And also maybe push on whoever's sitting deepest to the Liverpool midfield to try and break that up when they're in play. Mm. Apart from that, it's, you know, stop Trent and Robertson crossing and, and hope you find gaps in the channels. I think that this is the only way that you play Liverpool and, and hope the best. I agree, if you've got the players to play a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 like Wolves do, like City do, then that's an option. Yeah. I don't trust There's not many teams. You Arsenal. don't have two centre-backs, let alone three. Precisely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think if we merged our game plans together... Like my so like my defensive shell and your transitional threats, we'd have a fighter's chance of losing just two nil. <laughs> if you had Aubameyang and Martinelli up top in that in that Atletico team, there's a chance. There's a, there's I think they should actually be an end of season game, Atleti and Arsenal against Liverpool, <laughs> and just see what they can come up with. The managers can work together; they can pull in all the players they can, yeah. and see if they can come up with a game plan that can beat Liverpool. Because yeah, I think you would struggle. Yeah. City have got a chance, like City, a puncher's chance. City yeah. could do it, especially at that stage of the season when you know maybe Liverpool's minds are starting to think, well, we've got this league secured now, and let's let's make sure we do the Champions League as well. Yeah. Um, well, they're the they're the best team that they'll face. Uh, not, you know, obviously, with uh, with the unidentified potential Champions League opponents down the line, notwithstanding, City are the best team left. Well, I was going to ask schedule. you, could so, you could you give us a quick three to one of who you think are the most likely teams to beat Liverpool? They, they definitely have to play. So obviously, like yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. include. Like well, let's we also bear in mind they play in Shrewsbury, so we're not including Shrewsbury in any of this. Well, also the the it's other game in Shrewsbury is not Liverpool's first. Yeah. Game. it's not managed by. But Park. in case anyone is going to yeah, put yeah, that in yeah. the comments, don't bother. Um, well, yeah, I mean. Three to one. Like there, are, I had a look at the fixture list, and I was trying to figure out. I was trying to base a game plan on someone, and also trying to figure out, you know, where they could trip up. And it is really, really hard. There are certain, there are certain fixtures on the schedule that you look at, and something in your brain goes, "Oh, that could be it," because of something that's happened in the past, like the the, the Merseyside derby against Everton. You know, that comes immediately after they play Atletico Madrid in the second leg. So they something, can win the league that day. Something in your brain goes, it goes, oh, that could be one. But I mean, really, but do, also, I, though, with do that I, one, I genuinely think that Everton can beat Liverpool? But it's Ancelotti. They did it with Napoli. He did do it with, he did do it with <laughs> that Napoli. I, just to cut, like, oh, well, actually, he has done it. He was, he but was, Liverpool's he was under sixes beat Everton recently. Yeah, that's, so, yeah I mean, I'm not sure cool. Ancelotti's got the same players at his disposal at Everton. But to be fair, Everton played really well at the weekend. Yeah. Um, they definitely improved on the... So, there's a small, small they're chance. Not, I'm not, they're not even in the top three. <laughs> I so. just don't see it. The, um, the, the top at, three? At, at three, I were going to go, they've got Chelsea at home in the penultimate game of the season. Um, don't really have that much faith in it, but it is the third best chance. Um, and then a little bit of a rogue one for some people, but they've got Palace at home shortly before that. And Palace have been a bit of a difficult customer for Liverpool over the years. They're also a bit of a different beast away from home. Away from home, they're actually very good. At home, they can't score any goals or do anything. Um, it's almost as if their tactics, which are inherently counter-attacking and reactive, don't work at home, but work brilliantly away, would you imagine? But I think Palace at home, do I genuinely like, are you asking me like, okay, would you put money on it? No, 
but this is this is a this is a team that could at least set up in a way that could hurt them because they have the transitional threat in Zahar and they have the the, the Hodgson esque base yeah. that can frustrate. And of course, at one is is City. They're playing at the Etihad, not at Anfield, which is obviously about fifty percent of it. And City, man for man, if they are actually playing at the same level of form, Man, man City are a match for them. It just depends on how they look in. When is this game? Um, April. It's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot between of games now between now and If then. you'd asked me at Christmas, who I thought were the three teams in the Premier League who could beat City, I would have gone Wolves, Southampton and Man City. Yeah, I would have put and, Saints in. Um, and we've just seen them absolute dispatch Saints 4-0, even if Saints yeah. gave them a great game for That's 70 minutes. That's the thing, minutes. Wolves and Southampton Wolves both carried really out really well good game and, plans. And Liverpool played really badly and they still won. Yeah. It, it does seem it like they're face unstoppable. They might be unbeatable. <laughs> they may be. So there they we have be. it. Again, Liverpool might be unbeatable, but there are game plans to be. Yeah, here's a few ideas. Yep. Right then, we will be back in one minute for a load of your questions around the roulette wheel and Sam's nonsense rankings. Stick with us. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It's time for this roulette wheel. Let's give it a spin. Hey. Well, it has landed on the Reese James face. Reese James special. And this means, boys, we've got a special game coming up. I've come up with this. And it's called the 10 minute timer. Okay. We're going to rattle through as many questions as we can in 10 minutes from yesterday's selection. Oh, okay. So I'm going to start a timer and we're going to just go. All go, the Twitter go, questions go, go, that go. came in, you're just going to go. the best ones as quick as we can, right? Okay. Yep. So, 10 minutes. Here we go. Three, two, one. This is from Mac the Macker. He says. Bergvine or Sander Berge, who's going to turn out to be the best signing of those two? Ooh, longer term? Yeah, long term. Um, Sander Berge, because they'll probably sell him for like at least double that amount. Yeah, Bergvine is more, he's, he's kind of like intrinsically linked to like the managerial situation at Tottenham, I think. I think he'll be good for Tottenham. I don't think we'll necessarily see the best of him under Mourinho. Whereas I think Berge is like, he's, I think he's a bit Chris Wilder. And uh, if he doesn't just absolutely excel, then he moves for forty million in two years. So I go Birch, but these are both very good signings. He's going to go to Europe with with John Fleck and, and yeah, 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 yeah. He is, yeah, he is, yeah. So I think they're both very good signings, though. I'm I just, going to sign the really... purely on the chant. The fact that they've already come up with a, a brilliant song. He's Norwegian, plays for the Blades with John Egan. <laughs> Playing in Europe next season is Sanderberg. I like it. Therefore, That's very right, good. You can therefore. tell Reese James didn't start that one because it's well, catching on already. Well, Billy Sharp, <laughs> Sheffield United captain, recorded this and sent it in and the club posted it as part of his announcement ah. video. Uh, it's already kicking off in the I stand. I didn't see so that. Shouts out to the Blazers. Oh, yeah, shouts out good. to Billy Sharp. Right, next one. King Khan. He says, should the big leagues introduce all-star games like the NBA? Yes, absolutely. Mm, no. Right, Sam, fight your corner. How much fun would that be? So how would you do it? I'd pick the best players from each league. <laughs> no, 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 not against each other. Like, as in, should like the Premier League do an all-star game? On the NBA all-star event, do they have like, like three-pointer competitions and they do like, they have yeah. like little things. We should be doing that as well. Basically, the, the, when you warm up on FIFA for a game and you have to like, like chip the ball into a bucket or hit the target or hit a bottle, we should be doing all of those things. Well, yeah, I've, I've thought One for a long time. One big day out of Wembley. Yeah. I've thought for a long time, actually, that this should be an event. You go around the world, Staples Centre, Wembley, wherever, around the world, and you're playing this. So you're, you've got to take three kicks into a hole in the top corner. You've got to chip into a bucket. 
you've got to do the longest throw-in, you've got to do all these sorts of things, and you have all the best players in the world there, and Sander Burge or somebody will win it. <laughs> Sander Burge will win it, so that's good. So this is essentially NFL Combine yeah. meets All-Star Weekend or whatever. I'm like. not interested in the actual game, Premier League All-Star game, because no one will take it they seriously, would, they, and they're it all cry off injured. It would be a bit Pro Bowl, wouldn't it? It would be a bit like they're just sort of like... They just sort of like tap at each other. They and would try, treat it like try not football. to get injured. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd be wary of that, which is why you need that that element of like the little mini game thing where no one can really get hurt, yeah. but everyone can get very competitive. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's where a lot of ego I guarantee you that Danny Welbeck would still get injured <laughs> in one of these combine events. He would still like manage to like do his thigh or something. The man is weighed out of wheat of dicks. <laughs> right. Continuing on, Alex Sand. Do you think penalties should be taken the same way free throws are in the NBA where the player who gets fouled has to take the penalty? Oh, I quite like the idea. That's amusing. Uh, no, I don't think... It I would don't... save a problem for Man City, wouldn't it? I think it would increase <laughs> the amount of penalties scored. Why? Why? Oh, I think oh. it completely takes the pressure off the penalty taker. Ah, oh, okay. Also, goalkeepers can't prepare as well because you can't be like oh he takes penalties here are his last five yeah. what if Nicholas Otamendi is dragged down in the box and has to take a penalty what straight the, down the middle what the hell is he going to do straight with that down ball? the middle I mean he, he might but you don't know because you've never seen him take one yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I think this would add an element of fun but equally I think it would genuinely increase the amount of penalties Scored. It would be interesting because, like the strikers that normally take them, their goal tallies halve. So they've got to work harder to actually win golden boots. So suddenly, Harry Kane and the likes, and Ronaldo, and Ronaldo, yeah, Ronaldo's not agreeing to this at all. Although he probably wins a fair share of the penalties himself, but he does yeah, win a lot of yeah. himself. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, I just think this is a really good shout. Yeah, I'm, I'm like completely it. on board. I'm actually going to go and pitch this. To it's you just going to break. What it would do is it's it not bring, fair. Get a penalty. I just don't think it's fair. Like a foul in the box, a, a penalty being awarded is an appropriate. Uh, retribution for a foul in the box to potentially stop a very good player scoring. I don't think you should be like, oh, well, you know, the guy that got fouled has to take it. Like, you, I think if it's a handball, does the bloke who handballed it have to take one against his own goalie? Also, I was interested about this the other day. Uh, Quagliarella got fouled for Sampdoria um, and then was stretched off injured. So Manolo Gabbiadini had to take the penalty. Uh, what happens in that situation? Does the yeah. sub have to get take off the stretcher, the stretcher, take the penalty? <laughs> <laughs> the sub has to take the penalty, yeah, yeah. which therefore influences yeah, the your whole game plan yeah. the rest of the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Right, carrying on. Dea says, would you be rather be the centerpiece of a team or be the player doing the supporting role for the main star? He adds, Dean would probably choose to be a supporting cast on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, main star or a supporting role for like a a real like superstar? Uh, so main star, but at a big team, at a good team or like a middling team? Yeah. So, well, I mean, this is just a question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm the star of this podcast. Why would I sack that in? Yeah, starring role. All right, Dean. Same as usual. Yeah, I'm just going to go with what you said. And You'd the, rather be on the bed. The reader. Basically, they're asking, <laughs> would you rather be the, you know, a KDB, like providing all the assists? Or like, no, I would want to be the uh, goal scorer. Or Aguero. I'd want to be the Aguero, of course. Mm, I was number nine when I played. Yeah, make, 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 make me think about it like that. I'd rather be KDB than Aguero. I'd rather be Aguero. He's a better footballer. I'd also rather be Aguero. You know, to celebrate big moments like that, just taking all the glory, even if you've had not a very good game. Think of what Jamie Vardy does this season. Touches the ball six times a game yeah. and gets mad that's at the a match. Better, that's, a, that's actually a much better exception. <laughs> Would you rather be Jamie Vardy or James Madison? Or Angola yeah. Kante. Or James Madison. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. still Kante or Madison. You'd rather be Madison. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking Vardy I'm every Vardy. day. Yeah, what a life. I'm going on the Smyrna Fices and we are all having a really <laughs> Touch the ball occasionally. Time. Not right. in at the end. Jose Madero says, is this Liverpool team the best of Premier League history? 
Uh, let me just wrap my brains for every season. No. No. No? No from Dean. I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be close. I think... Is this assuming they go unbeaten, or is it just like this? No, is right now, I mean, hundred points, one hundred two games. That's unheard of. Yeah, but it's also a season in which there's no competition. No, they've they've destroyed the competition. Yeah, they, they've, uh, they've, they've personally everybody ruined else the has given up. It's their fault. There's no competition. Everybody's given. All the other teams are in transition season. <laughs> I they think this Liverpool team. Not. I think Liverpool, this Liverpool team is about to become. I think once they win the league, this will be the best Premier League team in history. Very hard to argue. It's really difficult because, like, we also didn't... So Man United 99 team is, like, my favourite team. They only won at 57 points or something, they won the league. 57 (laughs) points. And they won the treble that season. But it's really hard to compare that... Because how many of those games do I actually remember clearly? Not many. Um, and well, how would they? Old. The two styles of football. <laughs> You'd already start getting dementia at that. Point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but no, to I'm just going to say no. The standard and the pitches and that uh, it has to take a hit. Got to take a it's hit. It's like the Invincibles drew loads of games. Yeah, like loads and loads and yeah, loads of games. They were they were like they weren't that good. They were seemingly quite close to bottling it at the end. They were actually kind of like no, obviously they were well good, but they're not <laughs> as good as this Liverpool. They were dra- they were drawing games out of fear, and they were just trying to grind out the unbeaten season. Actually, they weren't playing with this carefree brilliance that Liverpool were. Although to be fair, we are entering that point where the pressure will start to ramp up on Liverpool. We'll I don't think Liverpool would even beat the Man City team from two seasons ago. Okay, that's a big call, but I I think this is probably about to be. They're like the sixth best team I've ever seen in the Premier League <laughs> <laughs> right Abdullah he says has the quality of the Premier League depreciated I don't pre- personally think it has just think the top six have been broken into so it feels like the league has got worse the fact Sheffield United are fifth in the league right now suggests to me that yes because I can't think of too many seasons when a team has been able to win promotion barely sign any top players and get to fifth in the league so they're just really well yeah, no, they are. Yeah, but I don't think there's many seasons when that would have been possible to break into the top six like that. And they, which they've got a really good chance of finishing top six. Yeah, Sam, I've, I've I've kind of always been of the opinion that the mean level of the Premier League has actually increased ever so slightly, even with the introduction of all the money and people go, oh well, they've just gone mad and bought bought loads of rubbish players and like you know Felipe Anderson cost forty million and four nails. And look at West Ham's recruitment and where they are. It doesn't stack up. I do think that the the level of player has increased. I just think quite a lot of them are badly run or poorly managed. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the player's fault. So I don't know I don't know which side of the fence I fall on there. I think playing quality is never looked better. But how these clubs are actually put to work is often really badly. Okay, right, one minute left. So this oh, wow. is the last one. He says, John Rapley, friend of the pod, says, Should the Champions League final have a half time show like the Super Bowl? No. No, no. I really enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Probably the first time I've ever actually enjoyed it. And particularly compared to the one in Atlanta with Maroon 5. Goodness me, that was a waste of time. But no, no, nothing should happen. Ever in football, nothing should happen at halftime. Everyone goes into the concourse, gets beers. If you're at home watching it on TV, tough. Watch adverts for 15 minutes. Go and make a cup of tea or go and get yeah, uh, and, and fridge. Go and, yeah, go and do something else for 15 minutes because everyone yeah. at the ground just wants to have a beer now. Also, At Fulham, they used to do a crossbar challenge and I used to, be, I used to love that. No, but like, if you, like, yeah, as a kid, you, I suppose you want something to watch as well. So maybe have something like that. But A mascot race. Did you see that there was a mascot race at West Ham the other week? No. Nah. So there, but that sounds good. The, boiler, the, boiler, the big boiler who's West Brom's uh, yeah. mascot had a race against Hammerhead, the West Ham mascot. And there Who? was a brilliant photograph. Who won? Uh, Hammerhead absolutely battered the ball. Oh, okay. Uh, and then Man City tweeted saying Moonbeam was going to race race Hammerhead at the Etihad. Why don't they have like a massive Royal Rumble? 
this is also here. We do maybe something like that. I think I'd be up for a mascot Royal Rumble at halftime in the Champions League. <laughs> was it at the baseball that we saw someone sprint around the pitch and then they had a masked uh, sprinter catch up from behind and then they had to they had to beat them around the track? Was yes. that in the baseball? It was like a greyhound race, but for humans. Right, yeah. that is time, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm at, we, we have gone slightly over. We got the 10 questions in, all the questions in within the Sure, minutes. but like just halftime show Super Bowl, was half an hour. Unacceptable. Right. Yeah, it did take ages. Un- Although it was one of the best spectacles I've ever it seen. It was amazing, but half an hour is unacceptable. Shakira, born performer, won't hear any more about it. Unbelievable. What do the players do? They literally just sit there on exercise bikes, staying limber and waiting for those people to get off the pitch. That's nah, nonsense. It was, it was unreal. I, I really enjoyed it loads. It was good. It was good. Shakira is queen. I just think it's a bad concept. Shakira is a queen. And let's hear from Shakira right now. That is the new nonsense siren, obviously part of that Super Bowl halftime show. And Sam, that means that it is time for you to do your nonsense ranking. Oh, we said we were going to get a player to do it. Yeah. Obviously, that hasn't quite transpired, but we have got Gerard Piquet's wife to, uh, to basically well, start this off. Is that why she did it at the Super Yeah, no, I, I sent her a message and asked <laughs> if she would do it, and she said absolutely sure. no, pro- like, no problem at all. Fine. Um, so there we are. That's a nonsense siren for now. Yeah. Sam, so what you got for me? It's uh, Dean. Yeah, I'm actually taking it this week, Jack. Um, Sam's passed on. I got a text this morning saying, Sam didn't have anything. Can I do one? <laughs> so he's just literally just throwing me He's just not now. doing any work anymore. Is yeah. like, this is the only bit of work you have anyway, to do. Anyway, he had a specific podcast. thing he wanted me to rank. Right, go so on. So here then. it goes. Me, yeah. Ranking my first jobs. <laughs> <laughs> You've both heard me talk about this in the pub before, which is why we've come okay, on Okay, yeah, this. fair enough. Number three, paper round. <laughs> 16 years old. Mother Jones says, time to get up. You've got to go and get a job. You're lazy. She's not wrong to be there. Okay. Everyone else got a paper round. I'll get one. Then found out, you know, the paper rounds they were doing at like 7am, not doing them. What happens? A new newspaper's launched in the town. Oh, so there's jobs going on this new newspaper. I'll deliver them. No problem. Papers get dropped off. There were hundreds. (laughs) Hundreds. Oh, my God. How am I going to do this? Anyway, suddenly dawns on me. It's a new newspaper. Nobody is expecting to receive this newspaper. It's a freebie. There's already a free paper that goes around town. So I start collecting these newspapers. There's a huge recycling place very near where I live. So I take my... My sister was probably about eight at the time, I reckon. Take her with me. We take a, um, a trolley each of the papers. I had to do about three trips, to be fair. Save the planet, recycled all the papers, week one. This went on for probably six weeks. <laughs> no one in the town still knows. Uh, in hindsight, realise now that I'm a journalist and I was killing my own profession. <laughs> but anyway, week six, obviously what happened is that the lady running all of this is calling around local residents asking what they will make of the new local newspaper and nobody in my side of town's ever heard of it. <laughs> um, and the next week... She literally caught me in the act, dumping the papers in the recycling bin. Um, Back on the spot. That job was gone. Anyway, so that's number three in my, <laughs> my first job. Number two. Number two, DIY store. <laughs> so we used to have a town hall near us, and we actually all protested because they were going to knock this town hall down and build a DIY store called Homebase. 
So we're out there, uh, no home base on Walton Town Hall Green, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Dean on the picket line. <laughs> I was there. With, I was there with the sign. Anyway, we lost the protest. They knocked it down. So I thought, oh, fair enough. I'll get a job there. <laughs> <laughs> Closest shop to my house. Fantastic. So um, applied there, started it. I know nothing about DIY. Hate it. Got the job. Um, for 11 months, I worked there. <laughs> wandering around the shop floor, tidying up. Anyone who came up to me and asked a question, I said, sorry, I'm new here. Go and ask somebody else. <laughs> For 11 months. For 11 months. <laughs> Occasionally did had to do the teals, which was fine. Um, and then I found out you get double pay if you do night shifts. So when I was like, I was probably at college at the time, I was about 17. So in the, in the holidays, me and my friends were like, oh, well, nick a bit more money here, we'll do the night shift. Didn't realise how tiring it is going overnight. <laughs> Luckily, uh, one of my friends spotted out the back in the warehouse the little rug section and it had a really good place to hide and sleep. So you could sleep for half the night shift, earn double money. Um, <laughs> actually decided to quit that job while I was ahead. <laughs> and that's because I was then able to drive and land my dream job, pizza delivery boy. <laughs> there are only two things I adore in life, pizza and football. And I've now worked in both industries. <laughs> this was a dream. I started off with a company called Tops Pizza. I know them. I it was okay. Them. I know them too. It was okay, but the tips weren't great because none of the rich people ordered from there. So I started off there, you know, did well. Cut your teeth. Then got tapped up, didn't I? Got tapped up by someone I know who works at Domino's. Say, come over here, mate. Make the transfer. Tips are better. You get more per drop and the pizza's better. You get free one every shift. Sold. So I go into Top's Pizza, say to the boss, look, sorry, mate, I've got to focus on my studies. I'm out. He's very disappointed to lose one of his top drivers. Um, but he said, fair enough, go and do your thing, Dean. All fine until three weeks later, I'm delivering a pizza down the same road as my boss. He sees me in my do- with my Domino's bag with the thing on the roof. <laughs> now, this man, he's a Middle Eastern man. He gets very angry very quickly, chases me through the streets. <laughs> We're both in our cars having this little fiesta. <laughs> Luckily, because I've been doing the job a couple of years, knew some back roads and managed to get away. Um, I've actually now moved back to that town and the same man is still working in the same Topps Pizza and sometimes I see him and I still get chills through me because I think he's going to run after me. Um, But pizza delivery boy, best job apart from being a football journalist I've ever had. Fantastic. One more strand to this story. Uh, The great pizza scam. Oh, yeah. So occasionally, obviously, during a shift, you would get hungry. (laughs) And then somebody pointed out, um, at the time, well, if we cut, when because you, you would slice the pizzas up sometimes, but what you could do was you could slice the pizza up into nine rather than eight and then slide the other eight around so there was actually a bit missing that you could eat on the way there <laughs> and they never noticed because it looked like it was a complete pizza. Just good use all round of everybody's time. Oh, I did, yeah, I can't claim credit for coming up for that, but I did carry it out very efficiently. <laughs> yeah, I don't break the rules, I just make them. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm pleased to say I'm now a very good employee and have never broken any rules since. Absolutely. <laughs> Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, thank you very much, Dean. That was exceptional. And it means that we are done for the week. I mean, that's all that left for me to do is to say thank you to these two, to Dean Jones, Cheers, the finest pizza delivery man in the country. <laughs> Sam Tai, who's never had a job before this, so therefore <laughs> couldn't do that himself. <laughs> I've been Jack Collins. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. If you're still with us, do us a favour, send the pod to one mate who you think might enjoy us and help to keep the ranked squad growing. All love, gang. Peace.